Pegasus Podcast, presented by Night Sports Now. UCF news, views, and a few hot takes. Now, here are your hosts, Bailey Go Knights Adams and Christian Charjon Simmons. Welcome into episode 86. Be sure you're following us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at ByCA Simmons, and at Night Sports Now. We're just about three-ish, a little over three weeks from kickoff, which is great. And it also means we've got some fall camp updates to talk about, little like 30-second highlight videos to dissect, random uh, you know tidbits from press conferences to talk about. And we're going to do that. Christian, how are you? I'm great. It's going to be really fun. Welcome to a podcast where we're like, well, I paused this video at 13.3 <laughs> seconds and it looked like that uh, JRP threw a bad pass. So well, that's all you can do. Like, it's, it's just such a disparity. Like I've been at Bucks training camp a few times over the last couple of weeks and she's like, the media is there for like the entire thing and we can report on everything. And then with, with UCF, it's like, here, you get 15 minutes some days and that's it. And then we'll talk to you about it afterwards. But. It is frustrating because also you have to take like because some people like some fans I've seen like UCF fans are taking like you have to have a little bit of like literacy on what comments from different people mean like I'm basically not listening to anything Gus says because Gus is not going to give away anything in his press yeah. conferences like informational stuff okay like him being like there are going to be two scrimmages and one is on Saturday I'm like great but when someone's like how have the quarterbacks improved like he's not going to give you anything there he that's always gonna, like tell you which quarterback yeah, is in the lead says- or whatever. If someone's like, oh, what have you seen out of Mikey Keene? He'll talk about Mikey, and then in the same answer, he'll also bring up JRP and say something good about him because it's a very, like, political thing where it's like, I'm not giving you, like, one little inch of which way I'm leaning. I'm talking about both guys. It's also, like, the greatest lie in, like, sports media history is when players say, oh, I don't I don't listen to that stuff. You know, it's <laughs> like these players listen to every word their coaches yeah. say about them, and that's why the coaches have to be very diplomatic. You can get real information from – assistant coaches and position coaches because they'll be a little more open they're not going to like tell you who's starting or anything but they because the truth is at the end of the day like Gus is overseeing everything I mean other than like the quarterbacks he probably can't give you like as in-depth of an analysis about a position group as the position coach can and and the one true source of information is the players because sometimes players just say things they're not (laughs) supposed to and uh UCS got him trained pretty well but occasionally we get a little thing here or there like like, you know when nine players mentioned Nakai Martinez I start to think hey Nakai Martinez might be pretty good might be yeah might be doing pretty well but uh, hey, speaking of fall camp updates, um, uh, an update was provided by someone who knows a lot more than either of us, and that was uh, Brandon Helwig. And uh, we don't uh, talk about, I, I like have a rule, like I don't talk about stuff on the podcast that's behind a paywall, because I just think that's like lame. Like if someone reports yeah. something on their site, I'm it's not going to be like, yeah, I'm not going to be like, hey. But uh, hey, uh, some of you people who like to argue with me about quarterbacks, uh, Brandon Helwig had an update a couple days ago on um, who currently is in the lead in the quarterback race. And uh, hey, some of you, you might want to check it out. And uh, pretty interesting. Send your apologies to me on Twitter after you've checked <laughs> it out. Not giving away who he said was in the lead. It's pretty but, interesting. Uh, you know, you just might want to check it out. You know, I do want to talk about the quarterbacks because a like what the helicopter update was really interesting, and that's certainly that was where things stood in that moment. A scrimmage has happened since then. There was another scrimmage. There was, and there's nothing like oh, this is set in stone, whatever. But I'm getting more and more annoyed with the. Uh, not so much the actual quarterback battle, but the Twitter quarterback battle. No, of course. Because I'm really getting sick of how dug in people are on their sides. And especially with the John Rex Plumley supporters, I guess I should just say. <laughs> the people on the opposite knows, side from you. <laughs> everyone, but okay, they are. But I feel like that's the difference is like, I'm not on, I'm not on the side of start Mikey Keene because I'm a quote unquote Mikey Keene supporter. Or I'm like, well, Mikey Keene's just my guy. And, and you know, I'm ride or die with Mikey Keene. It's like, you get information and you change your analysis and your opinion on what's going to happen based on that information. We had a podcast in December 
where we're talking about, you know, maybe Mikey won't be the guy next year. Maybe Tommy is going to come in and start. Maybe Castellanos is going to come in and start. He gets to spring camp. We learn more information. He's really not ready. He may have even be been told by the staff that they were going to register him. Okay, it's probably not going to be Tommy. JRP transfers in. Our media podcast after that was, wow, JRP, this guy must be transferring and obviously he wants to be a quarterback again, but he must think he has a good chance of winning the job. Spring ball rolls around. We learn more information. Wow, he can't throw the ball. And it, you adjust your opinion. And that's how we landed on Mikey. So I get frustrated when people on Twitter are just so dug in and are like, well, no, it's going to be JRP because this, this, it's like, we don't, we didn't form the opinion of we think it should be Mikey just because we really like Mikey. I mean, we do like Mikey, but it was yeah. because at the end of the day, it, listen, Gus has said it and all evidence has been that John Rice Pumley has improved throwing the ball. That was to be expected. And he had a really good spring game and, you know, he didn't play the position for a couple of years, whatever. But at the end of the day, my take for why it should be Mikey is that Mikey clearly is much better at getting the ball where it, need, it needs to go. Is he Mackenzie Milton? Is he going to come out there and throw for 40 touchdowns and have all these insane stats and get Heisman votes? No, probably not. I don't know. We didn't expect that from Milton this sophomore year, but no, I'm not expecting Mikey Keene to be the best player in program history. But when you have the skill talent that UCF has this year, I would just hate to see that wasted on a quarterback who's just going to miss receivers. Right. And it's going to make the, the wrong play and make the wrong decision and be too quick to get out of the pocket when there is a play yeah. to be made that he doesn't see. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, um, go ahead. It's, it's, that's the thing. Like you said, is, is, is Mikey McKenzie Milton? No, probably like not even gonna be close, but he doesn't have to be not with the talent that UCF has at these positions. It's really, it's about limiting mistakes, getting the ball where it needs to go. And yeah, I mean, he doesn't have, he doesn't have the same facet in the run game that, uh, that John Rice Pumley has. Like, obviously, that's his strength, and it's not Mikey's strength. But I think we've seen enough to where he can do some of that stuff if he needs to, when he needs to. But more often than not, he's just going to he's gonna get the ball where it needs to go. And, you know, from what we've – we haven't seen a lot and her a lot, but it just seems like he's a guy that you can trust. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago where it's like he's not going to go out there and, like, lose you games, I wouldn't think. Like, he doesn't no, seem like the type of guy not. that's going to go out there and throw three straight – like, three interceptions in costly moments and lose you a game. We don't mean – I'm not saying that John Rice Plumley necessarily is, but I think there's maybe more – more to be believed that he could be that kind of guy. I don't know. It's, it's like tough to know. And, and that, listen, like, like that's the other point I want to make too, is like, if I could press a button right now that that would like, you know, buy an upgrade for JRP and give him an amazing throwing arm. I would love that. Like it, it is in UCF's and Gus Malzahn's best interest to have a quarterback that can do both really well. Right. But as we're a few weeks out from the season, it just doesn't appear that JRP can throw the ball very well, or at the very least he can't consistently throw it very well. And it seems like Mikey has improved a lot from last year, which is not surprising. True fashion always take a leap. And he's really good at finding the right play. He's really good at making the right decision, but he's not necessarily dynamic. He's not necessarily a game breaker. And when those are your two options to me, I want to go with the one. And when you have to look at the team too, like if UCF was like coming off 2015 right now and they're young as hell and don't really know what they have yet. Yeah. Put the guy out there. Who's going to like make plays with his legs and go crazy. But when you have a team with all this talent in a season that is like, arguably the most important season in UCF football history, then I want to go with the guy who's not going to lose them games. Yeah. And it's, it's funny too, because we, we've talked about it. I don't know how long have we talked about it, where it's, if you go with Mikey, you can still use the good parts of JRP's game. Dude, I said that it's, on Twitter and thought that was a pretty obvious take. And frankly, what I expect to happen and still expect to happen. And people went crazy. Like everyone's like, you can't do two quarterbacks. If you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. It's like, okay. It's not the same. Flipping between two starters and having defined roles is not the same thing. Last year, when they switched out Gatewood for Navarro, that actually worked. 
Navarro averaged, he averaged 7.7 yards per carry. He had multiple touchdowns and like you can, JRP is an athlete and you can absolutely use him in a lot of really creative ways. And I don't like, I do think we're going to see both of them. Now, what the other fans are talking about is true. Like I have, I am so alarmed at the idea of UCF flip-flopping, like whoever they pick, they have to stick with. And I said this on a past podcast, but if they start JRP first, let's say that they go and they say, we're picking JRP. That can go one of two ways. Maybe he just plays like he played in the spring game in every game. Maybe he's just a guy who needs a game atmosphere. That's awesome. That's great. UCF will win a lot of games or he loses them a game somewhere and it ends up being Mikey. And yeah. if you go, or, or it's just one of those things where even if UCF's winning a game, it's just so obvious that he's missing the guys he needs to get the ball to, or he's running. Like my biggest like frustration with, with mobile quarterbacks, because I love dual threat quarterbacks. I do. I, I, I was oh, yeah. like a big Daryl Mack fan back in the day, whatever. But, and you see it all the time when it's like, he, it's one read and then he's out of the pocket running around. And it's like, you had a guy right there on the side of the field that you didn't even check. And now you're running around and it's like, Oh great. He picked up four yards on the ground. And that's something that I think like casual fans who aren't maybe watching the whole field, which fine. That's most fans is like, Oh, look, he picked up four yards. And it's like, you know, if that was, if that was a quarterback who was passed first, that's probably a 15 yard gain downfield. And that's what I don't want. And on the flip yeah. side of that, if you start Mikey from the start, I don't see Mikey losing the job to JRP because I don't see Mikey doing anything that would lose him the job. Mikey not, might not throw six touchdowns in a game, but I don't see him having some performance where they're like, well, we need to get another quarterback in here. And my caveat all along too has been like, I know people shudder at the idea. You mean with the Navarro stuff aside, people shudder at the idea of, oh, bringing a guy in as like your, your running quarterback, quote unquote. My whole caveat has always been, he needs to be able to throw the ball sometimes. So like he needs to keep defenses honest when like, honestly, he can't be known as that guy. Oh, if he's in, he's you know running an option or he's running a dive, whatever he's doing. He's got to be able to, show that he does have an arm and and yeah I mean, i'm not saying in that role i think he can be super effective especially if like he's not a consistently he's not consistently a great passer he doesn't have to be consistently a great passer he just needs to be able to do it every once in a while hit the open plays and prove that you can throw the ball so that it opens up your you know plays with your legs as well absolutely and that's been my big issue with like i feel like a lot of fans ucf fans especially don't understand what a malls on offense is because what you just described people are going to hear that and they're going to say, but if he can do that, why not just start him? Like, why not just have that be the offense? And I've seen people be like, Gus doesn't care about the quarterback being able to pass. He needs a guy who's mobile. He needs a guy who can execute all those crazy plays he comes up with. It's just not true. Like every malls on offense in history needed someone who could throw the ball really well. Cam Newton could pass the ball really well. Even Nick Marshall, who was a freaking DB that got converted to a quarterback, he threw for 2,500 yards and 20 touchdowns when he started for Gus it's like there is no like a Gus Malls on offense is not an offense devoid of passing yeah. and I think some fans have kind of misunderstood that and that's why they're like well even if JRP can't throw it's going to be JRP it's like okay it's like Javon Baker is inexplicably emerging as an amazing option we know Ryan O'Keefe is a great option Kobe Hudson is looking to be a great option you've got behind them Quan Lee Amari Johnson I'm forgetting Jalen Griffin I'm Jaylen so sorry Griffin, how yeah. can I forget Jalen Griffin after he set the standard all offseason and it's like <laughs> to waste those guys is insane to me because this is not a situation where you need an elite quarterback to be good. You just need a quarterback who's going to stay calm and focused and make the play when he sees the play. And that is Mikey. Well, here's the thing too. And it, it feels like it almost works even more in Mikey's favor. Maybe not, but we'll see. And I'll kind of pivot the conversation here is you just need at this point, it seems like you need a quarterback that again is going to be able to not turn the ball over and yeah, put some points up on the board but UCF's defense looks like it's going to be really, really good. Yeah, and man. The first scrimmage uh, was on Sunday, and Gus basically came out and didn't – I mean, he, he just – he yeah, he said they, the offense didn't score. I mean, he said, yeah, the offense had – the first-team offense had one touchdown, but it got called back for holding, which is a way of saying the defense got a shutout. 
Like, yeah, it was a polite way of saying the defense got to shut yeah. up. I believe that and we've then, learned since that there were multiple picks in that scrimmage yeah. as well. And then he went he went on to say like it was a a run heavy a run oriented scrimmage, and I feel like again that might have been kind of protecting the offense. You know, I it's just his way of saying like okay, yeah, like we we ran the ball and I was by design. no because he did he he had said before the scrimmage happened that they were going to be really run oriented. I mean, it was going to be a pared down offense, and I do want people because I saw some people starting to freak out like oh my god, it's the offense. Yeah. Bad which that's what I love about scrimmages because no matter who does well, it's alarming. And like, <laughs> like, listen, like if, if UCF was going out to take, was about to take the field against Cincinnati and Luke Fickle walked over and said, Hey, just a heads up on offense. We're gonna be pretty run oriented. Um, you know, we're going to keep things pretty basic. Just sort of see what we have just a heads up and walk back. UCF's going to win the game. So like, I don't, you know, you have to, I, I would, it would have been better if, if the offense had scored like a single touchdown, but yeah. it isn't like total freak out mode. I think that was just by the design of the scrimmage. And frankly, this early in fall camp, the defense is usually ahead of the offense. I mean, that's kind yeah. of like a staple of, you know, football, uh, college football fall camps. So. The thing that just stood out to me, especially from press conferences too, is one, you mentioned to Kai Martinez earlier, but there's just been a lot of talk about the DBs. Like the, yeah. the secondary is, is so deep that it's, it's insane. Like I was, I was saying to you yesterday, I was like, are they going to have to redshirt the Henderson twins? Because, I mean, they have so many guys, but then we're hearing that, I forget which one of them was. Jakari. It was, was Jakari, right? Jakari's Jikari, well. been, he has like two picks in like the first few days of camp. Like, it, they just have so much talent and so many guys to employ. And, and luckily it is a position group where like, it's not like you just have the starters and that's that. I mean, they can yeah. take advantage of that depth, but there's, it is there's almost like be, they have too much. And it scares me There's going to be times where there's, you know, five DBs on the field, depending on the package you're in. And also we saw last year how important it is to have depth because the entire oh, yeah. team got injured and you're down to the point where it was like, yeah, I mean, the fact that they went nine and four with as many injuries as they had is like a miracle, but with the depth that they have now, it feels like, of course you don't want injuries ever, but you know, they feel better prepared, better equipped to handle something like that. Yeah. I mean, the, like this feels like, and I could like deeply regret saying this, but Hey, that's what uh, fall camp podcasts are for. Right. Is like, UCF has very rarely had a defense that I would refer to as elite. Um, yeah. Even in 17 and 18, I don't think I would have called that defense elite really at any point in either of those seasons. I would argue that the 2016 defense was better. I would argue that last year's defense might've been better. And this in coming- some, In some respects. They in some respects, in some respects. Um, but Bailey's upset that I'm basically slandering like a bunch of UCF legends with that comment. No, I'm just saying <laughs> last year's defense at times just could not tackle and it was very, very disappointing. But in other ways, they were very good. Yeah, it's true. But that's also like, guess who else like could not tackle the 2017 and 2018 defenses. Yeah. But this year feels like it could be maybe the first time in modern UCF history that they have like a truly elite defense. Now, the big, big question mark there is the linebackers. And I don't know if it's good news or bad news that we haven't really gotten a lot of comments on how they're doing. We did we did get the Terrence Lewis is fully healthy. So yeah. that's good. And that's T. Will did say, I mean, it was the first two days. I don't think they'd put on pads yet, but he said that he was impressed with Brandon Jennings and Jason Johnson and just how they were coming along in the defense. Yeah. Um, it's hard to take like, again, before pads are even on, especially on yeah. defense. It's I think like, it was more from the mental, it was more from the mental approach and like what they were grasping of the defense. Um, but again, for the defense, the defense as a whole to be really great. The linebackers don't need to be elite. They just need to be like passable. Like, right. I mean, that's really so what I think they were they're going to have a, a really good pass rush. Um, and obviously we just talked about the secondary, but they just need to um, not be a gaping hole in the middle of the defense. Like if they can just yeah. not be that, things will be okay. Because that's the thing too. Is there's there's a lot of guys in the mix, and Jeremiah Jean Baptiste is obviously the guy. He's like the number one guy. But UCF largely plays with two linebackers on the field at a time. So as long as they have, say, two or three more that are serviceable behind Jean uh, Baptiste, you're going to feel pretty good about what they put out there. 
Um, I'm trying to think of what else there is. To We've get also through. heard a couple things which kind of surprised me. I've heard Katie McDaniel's name thrown out a couple times during the yeah. pressers, which he isn't someone that I think we even really like gave the time of day when he transferred in. But um, he's he's more of a, like a edge rusher, right? Yeah, but I'm saying like, could he maybe kind of be in that like which one is I was forget, is that the Buck? I think so. Yeah, like maybe like sort of in that role a little bit. I don't know. I'm just saying, you know, yeah, I mean, another I've, guy like that who can bring some pressure who like we haven't really talked about, but yeah, you know, another name. Yeah, is that yeah, it? I we mean, covered everything. Oh, um, uh, Gus said that but Boomer isn't practicing because he's hurt. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Obarski is, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Obarski kicker one question mark. Listen, if Obarski is the only kicker, point. if Obarski is the only kicker that's practicing as of August 8th, Obarski is going to be the kicker <laughs> when the season kicks off. So, yeah, that's a rough that's realization. Fun. But uh, um, we've kind of gotten like we haven't gotten official announcements, I don't think, but we've gotten like some an idea of like who the captains might be. I know T. Will said that Josh Selaskar was named a captain. We have um, Selaskar confirmed. I feel like we have another one confirmed. Do we have other confirmed guesses because other ones are kind of like guys that have broken the team down. Guys like Isaiah Bowser, Sam Jackson. Uh, I think Ryan O'Keefe was Ryan O'Keefe confirmed or no? <sighs> I think no. Yes, I don't know. Yes, yes? I feel okay. <laughs> Welcome to the Pegasus Podcast, where we always know what we're talking about. We just speculate um, about captains. I know that Selaskar is confirmed. Yes. I really think that Ryan O'Keefe is confirmed, and I'm afraid that someone told me that, and that's not um, public. Um, I think it's just, I, mean, I think that's kind of a foregone conclusion anyway. I don't remember where I heard that. It just feels like he That been... must have been on Twitter or said in a press conference, I pray. But yeah, okay, so Ryan O'Keefe, Selaskar, and from who's broken down the team, I would say Sam Jackson and Isaiah Bowser. I think those are your four captains. It's weird that three are offense and one is defense. Yeah. Um. And I mean, I was saying to you too, like, I don't know. I was trying to think of like who else on the defense would be like in, in the captain conversation. And obviously I don't know what goes in the locker room. I was thinking like maybe a guy like Ricky Barber. I, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting, like. Well, it's I, true. I'm Cause when you actually Jeremiah think Dean about Baptiste it. Isn't like. In the yeah. I don't know. Cause he seems like know. a guy that they've brought out to for, for press conferences and stuff. And maybe it's because he's one of the, like he is the only linebacker that they can talk to, but it's interesting. Do we we talked? I mean, we talked a little bit about Javon Baker, but Javon Baker has been like probably the star of the star of the first week and a half of camp, I think. Or I guess it's only been a week. But I would definitely like everyone's raving definitely about him say that he is the star. Every picture, every highlight that we see has him making some leaping catch. Um, so yeah, which we just <laughs> talked about a couple podcasts ago. There's always that one guy that no one's really talking about who then becomes a big deal, and like the early money is on Javon Baker. Yeah. And um, like, you know, again, we're a weekend and I always try to like, but like how many times does he have to do so? I mean, the, the, they've posted multiple videos now of these just stupid catches that he, like these stupid balls he's pulled down. And like, I don't know, I like wide receiver was in no way a question mark. Like they have a lot of talent there, but to right. add like once again, another guy who like now looks like he could be like their top wide receiver based on what we've seen so far. Who I wasn't even thinking about a week ago. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, we're a week in, but I mean, those catches have been impressive and there's been so many of them and the staff and the players have all basically raved about him when they've had the opportunity. Yeah. And he was one of the guys, I know they did that like weird Twitter space media day kind of thing. And he was like one of the guys on there they talked to. I thought they talked to a ton of people, but he was one, he was one of the first ones to talk, they talked to, I believe. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's, he's been the star so far we're only a weekend, but we're th- about three weeks till kickoff and wouldn't be surprised to see him be one of one of the main contributors at, out of uh, the receiver position. All right. But I know I'm, I'm running the risk of taking our podcast over an hour again for like the ninth straight week. But let me ask you a question will. right now, by order of total receiving yards at the end of the season, predict the wide receiver depth. Kobe Hudson, Ryan O'Keefe, Javon Baker. Give me a fourth. Then we'll stop there. 
I want to say Quan Lee so bad. It's not gonna. I don't think it's Jalen Griffin. Jalen Griffin. Okay. Yeah. What's your What's your four? I would probably, I would probably agree. I don't know okay. if I would change anything there. Okay. I, I was gonna put O'Keefe like lower, you wanna, but I'm like, you I need to stop like, O'Keefe and Baker. Don't yeah, you? <laughs> but I need to stop trashing O'Keefe every single podcast. It's getting ridiculous. I don't know why I'm doing that. Oh, I like yeah. Ryan O'Keefe a lot. I think he's really, really good. And some like, I don't know why I have to pick a player every offseason that I'm just like, hey, this guy secretly isn't good. But for some reason, it's your way of You did it with Bowser last year, and yeah, I'm sure Ryan O'Keefe is an avid listener and is like, I'm gonna prove Christian wrong this year. I'm sure that's like top of his mind but yeah i'd agree I, it's just it's interesting i kind of like that we don't know like it just sort of shows the depth that there's not one receiver who feels really separated from the rest i mean i feel like they've got i could see o'keefe or hudson or baker i could see all of them being the top guy to be honest which is always great yeah it's fantastic yeah all right you want to move into uh topic number two which is really our main topic of the podcast um let's do it we, we did last year uh we're breaking uh, breaking down every possible outcome for ucf in 2022 um generally i mean it's not every single thing that could happen but um we'll start here and we're talking about how these outcomes can affect recruiting the transfer portal ucf's trajectory as a program and the tone they're setting for year one in the big 12 so we'll start here at the top with the most fun one which is ucf going undefeated i love that we start with the top i was very when we did this podcast last year we were very like there's basically nothing they can do that will derail anything because it was the first year of a new coaching staff and like whatever happens happens and Hey, the entire team got injured and they still signed their best class in school history. They still were yeah. the best team in the state. So that sort of more or less got proven right. Not feeling like that this year. Um, this is a really, really, really important season for UCF. Um, it is. The whole, you know, future of college football thing only works for so long until you start proving it. And they, with a team this talented, there is really no excuse to be anything worse than 10 wins. I mean, they need to be at 10 wins. And as far as what they can do in their first year in the Big 12, the momentum there, as far as what they can do in recruiting, as far as what they can do in the transfer portal, as far as the money they are going to have available to them, this season is critical. Um, so that being said, if UCF goes undefeated, that's the dream. That's the yeah. dream scenario. Because, I mean, if you think about it, UCF goes undefeated. Think about all the guys that have eligibility to come back for the first year in the Big 12. If you're, if UCF goes undefeated, how many guys do you think are going to leave an undefeated UCF team as they're going to the Big 12 for the transfer portal? Like I, I, not like, a lot unless other imagine. schools are throwing up like serious money, which right. it happens. But, and I, if that's the case, like obviously they weren't really like, I mean, it's, it's fine. Go get your money. But like, it's not, I'm trying to, how do I put this? It's like, that's, that was going to happen anyway, basically. You also have to remember that next year, it, it, the big 12 is like a power conference, no matter how you want to slice it to everyone. Cause Texas and OU right. were still in that league. I mean, it's going to yeah. be a really tough league. And if you're someone like, Let's just say, I don't know, one of the receivers has a great season, 1,000-plus receiving yards, bunch of touchdowns, and some other team comes calling, and it's like, hey, you want $100,000 to come here? First off, UCF does have a collective and does have some money there, so they can give something to keep them there, even though it won't be anywhere near $100,000. And if you're that player, you're saying, okay, this team just went undefeated. I am one of the stars of this team. I am going to go to the NFL if I do this again in the Big 12 next year. Why would I risk that by going to another team where I'm now in a new depth chart, I'm in a new environment, you don't always know it's going to work out. It's like, that's such a short-term decision with long-term effects. Like when you're a year away from potentially a seven-figure contract, you're not going to take that kind of money in the interim. Well, and when you think about it, if like for that, with that example, and I know this probably doesn't apply, this definitely doesn't apply to every position group, but with the wide receivers, like who could even, that, who could that even be? Because that whole, you know, one-time transfer rule, like going away, that's not happening. That's on anymore, hold. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Kobe Hudson's already transferred. It'd just be um, O'Keefe, I guess. And yeah, I mean, and, and 
Javon Baker's already transferred. I mean, I guess Quan Lee, but like he's only going to be a freshman this year. I don't know that he's going to be like. Quan Lee also has be, like but... 45 NIL deals already. So I don't yeah. even know like what the, the motivation yeah. would be for him. Yeah, Unless I don't know. really going to say, hey, we're just going to write you this check for this much money. Maybe like, that position group was a bad example. But you, the point I'm making was, you know, just that I, when the every, like you don't see a whole lot of guys, even at the group of five level, who are transferring out of like really, really good situations. Right. So yeah. And, and honestly, you have to look at the inverse of that is if UCF is undefeated next year, which by the way, I don't want anyone to take this as an, a prediction for undefeated. We're just saying. Oh, no. This is this um, is all, we're going through all, we just started with undefeated. UCF is already a transfer portal destination. If yeah. they go undefeated and are going into the Big 12 as an undefeated team, they and, and they presumably will be returning their quarterback because whether it's Mikey or JRP, they both have eligibility next year. They are going to get whatever the hell they want. I mean, they're going to yeah. get whoever the hell they want out of the portal. I mean, they there will be so much talent available to them to pick from. I mean, they could rebuild whoever they lose through talent and then the thing, and, yeah. and improve or through the portal and improve. Wherever that's what you comes lose, with that. Wherever you lose a guy, you can just go out and get the guy you want. Like that's that would be so valuable. And I think in a lot of ways, like UCFs, yeah, like you said, it's already kind of a destination for transfers. But in, in that case, like who's not going to want to come into an undefeated team who's going into a power conference? a power conference that includes Texas and Oklahoma for another year. And you know what? There may be nothing that UCF has done and can do in the last few years and this year for the future of the program than establish itself as a transfer portal destination. I'm surprised UCF doesn't lean more into the fact of how many transfers they put in the NFL. I mean, they've put what four transfers in the league in the last couple of years. Yeah. You had, I mean, I'm forgetting them off the top of my head, but you know, Trey Nixon Trey was Nixon. a transfer, Aaron Robinson, Jacob Harris, um, Tay Allen. I mean, it's like, it's, like, I don't know why you don't brand yourself more as like, we are the school that puts transfers in the NFL. Because if UCF, like with the way college football is going, the transfer portal is going from, you know, the portal started a couple of years ago and it, it became a way to like, maybe fill in a hole or two. Then it became a way to really supplement your team. It's quickly turning into like, it is as important as recruiting high school talent. I mean, it's yeah, literally it's as important. Agency. And for UCF, and they already have the advantage of where they are, where they are in the country. But if they can really build on that, so we are the place where transfers come to blow up and go to the league and have a lot of success then that that literally raises the bar for what this program can be like extensively, you know? I mean, it's just yeah. having that best of both worlds of not only being, because there's a lot of, I mean, I, listen, FAU's in the middle of, you know, great fertile transfer territory. They're not necessarily like t- tearing it up in the portal. I mean, you have to marry sort of where you are and what you yeah. achieve. And UCF is just really well positioned to do that. Yeah, it really is. And I think if we go into this next scenario, it, it very closely like relates to everything we just said is if UCF wins the AAC and makes a New Year's Six Bowl, like a lot of that stuff can be true, I would say. I mean, I don't, I don't know what's different. I literally changes. wrote, I don't think that's super different. The only difference would be like if they lose the near six bowl, then it's slightly different. And even then, it's like not by much. I mean, the right. reason them being undefeated would be a little different is because it would kind of be like 2017, where if they're undefeated and returning a lot of these guys, then they would be like the talk of the offseason of, oh, what can they do next year? Blah, 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 blah. And that sort of isn't the case if they are just in a near six bowl and lose it or they're in a new year six bowl and win it, it would be a little different, but either way, that's what I forgot. All the advantages are still kind of there. That's what I forgot to hit on in the undefeated uh, conversation. Where would they be like in terms of the playoff conversation? Cause like, I don't think they have the schedule necessarily to be like, and then every so much stuff had to go right for Cincinnati last year, including going undefeated and then having all these other power five conference champions not be that great. But I mean, what then do we'd expect them to probably be six, seventh, Eight. Okay, so let's think about this. So they're not going to the playoff this year. Cincinnati needed three of the five Power Five champions to have two losses to make the playoff. That has happened literally once in a decade, and I don't see it happening in back-to-back years. And um, 
and they, be, and they had Notre Dame on the schedule. So much. Not only on top of that, they literally had Notre Dame on the schedule, and Notre Dame was the team that they would have put in over them if Notre Dame had lost to anyone else. 11-1 and one, Notre Dame was a spot behind Cincinnati. If that loss was to any other team and Cincinnati had not played them, they would have gotten in. So UCF's not going to play off. But in 2017, they were 12th. 2018, they were 8th. Since he obviously was fourth. So I would say that they would probably put them at like seventh, maybe like sixth or mm-hmm. seventh. And I do think if they like if they won the near six bowl, they're in, then they would probably finish the season ranked fifth or sixth, which would be excellent. <laughs> you know, I mean, that would be going into the Big Ten or excuse me, going I'm, I'm a decade ahead of myself. <laughs> going into the Big 12 off of a top 10 season would be just the dream scenario for what they can do in recruiting in the portal money wise, brand wise, and just everything, you know, I mean, honestly, everything, I mean, the message that Gus is pitching is being the future of college football and you got to start doing that. Then the conversation goes again to, do they claim another title? I don't think they would. I don't I really think don't would. think they would. I don't, they weren't going to in 2018. I don't know how public that is. Yeah. I don't they, think, I think it's been talked about. That's been talked about. They were not going to claim one if they beat LSU. Um, yeah. I got told at the time that it was like a buzzer beater decision. <laughs> um, but they were not going to. So yeah. I don't, and this is a different staff. I mean, I don't want to say that UCF has m- marginalized the national championship talk since Gus came in. Cause I don't think they have, but they're definitely not talking about it like they used to. And to me, Which it's I mean, fine because it was just, it's got yeah. so far in the past. It's like, just stop talking about this. Yeah, like, I, I prefer people don't really like constantly reference it because yeah, it was five years ago. Yeah. So. Like to me, it was less about, Oh, it was embarrassing to claim it. Cause I don't think it was, it was very valuable no, to claim um, it. It's more just like, stop shouting about something that happened five years ago. It's embarrassing. Yeah. And I love, I love that they have the the banner or whatever you call it, the, the signage up in the stadium. I, I enjoy that, but like, yeah, the one that just constantly talking about it is not good for anyone yeah not at all so but um, yeah no i don't i don't think if they want to defeat but anyway well that wasn't even the category we're in anymore so yeah but yeah it's kind of the same stuff if they win the aac and go to new york six bowl win or lose they're going they're gonna have that same momentum you know i mean they're gonna yeah. have a lot of momentum going for them they're gonna be able to they're gonna be on the radars of you know a lot more recruits i also think it'll be interesting because it's kind of like an open secret that one way ucf's gotten some of these four stars has sort of been like hey like you know you can go to the blue blood and you know sit on the bench until your junior year or you can come here and have a chance to contribute right away and i will be curious like a year in now like you know if i think it's important that guys like nakai martinez play guys like maybe jakari henderson you know see the field because i do think that Mm -hmm. if you promise guys that then they don't play recruits are going to pick up on that so that's kind of a secondary sort of like UCF does really well. And also some true freshman play, you know, I yeah. think that would help a lot. And I think we're going to see that at least with Makai. I would think so. And I also think like just the, the story or the idea of UCF bookending their time in the AAC with another, like with conference championship in the first year. And then the last year, it just would be perfect. If I, they I win would... the league title this year, they will have spent 10 years in the AAC and won the league five times. Yeah. Which is there's just pretty good. Which is why like, obviously I want UCF to win the conference championship every year, but that like that stat and the fact that they would win it in the first and last year in the conference, it's just all of that lining up has made me very desperate for it to happen, uh, which means it probably will not. Um, so that's cool. Uh, but yeah, just the idea too, of like going to the big 12 is like, yeah, we just won our conference last year and now it's time to move up and we've got most of our team back. We've got our coaching staff largely intact, which that's where you kind of start to get into the conversation of if they have such a successful year and their defense is such a huge part of that. do you lose T will? Yeah, I was about to say, if they are, that was the part I forgot, is that if they go undefeated, I don't think, uh, and the defense is as good as it's supposed to be. I don't know if T. Will's still the coach uh, in 2023. He might be. I mean, I don't know. I don't really know what kind of offers he'd get. Like, if you, does he leave, does he leave for any head coaching job? You know, because especially if most of the defense is coming back and he's like, hey, we could just run it back in 2023 at a much higher level on a much bigger stage. And then I might be in line for like a much better job. He might see guys 
you see guys, you see coaches do that where it's like, do they take some coaches will jump at the first head coaching job or like a, they're not maybe the first, but they'll jump at an early head coaching job. Some guys just stay in their role and, you know, continue to build that cred and then they take the right job. Yeah. Which I think Dave Aranda, that's what Dave Aranda did pretty much with Baylor. Dave Aranda is an interesting guy though. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> love that guy. I think, I think, uh, yeah, Dave Aranda is amazing. Um, but there's, there's coaches that will do that. I think, I'm forgetting another example that I had in my head, but there's some that will wait and say, yeah, I'm not just going to take any job because very quickly I could not, I could not have everything to have everything together. And in three years be fired and have to go back and get a coordinator job anyway. Well, one thing that's interesting is because the only thing that really always ends up super officially public is the job the head coach takes. I don't know if the average fan realizes how often in an off season coordinators, coaches, everyone talk about other jobs. I mean, like, no, it's not like, it is in the NCAA football video game where it's like, yes, the coordinator does well, is offer a job, coordinator takes job. It's like, there's a lot that goes into it. Like, yeah, like, you know, there's nothing like T will, if they have a really good year, like if, I don't know, like if Akron is like, Hey, we really need a head coach. He's probably going to be like, no, like I'm okay. <laughs> thank you though. But you look at it. If you're a, you know, if UCF goes into feed this year, whatever, and the defense is elite and T will might get some interest, but I think he would get interest from like mid tier group of five schools. Then if UCF goes in the Big 12, and I'm not saying they're going to be amazing in the first year in the Big 12, we just don't know. But if they're like elite, the defense is elite in the Big 12 that first year, then he could legitimately looking at power five head coaching jobs if yeah. the defense has that kind of consistency, especially with the recruiting. Because we talk about Gus Malzahn a lot, but the majority of the top recruits they've gotten have been defensive recruits. And a lot of right. that, a lot of that is on Kenny Martin, but a lot of it is on T-Will as well. So yeah, they've got a really good staff and it's not going to stick together. Like Herb Hand is fantastic. Like Kenny Martin is fantastic. T. Will is fantastic. It's like, there's a lot of, Chip Lindsay was a head coach, right? Before getting yeah. the OC job. So like, I don't know, is that I'd be surprised if the staff looked the same in a year just because it's such a good staff. I mean, it's not even the same as it was last year and they went nine. They kept it pretty intact though. I mean, but yeah, no, I, mean, I think it was only, yeah, only Kenny left, but well, I mean, they had some support staff and guys people's left, but a little yeah, but yeah. Right. Um, okay. So the next one is UCF making the AAC championship game and losing, which according to our, actually, we didn't really say it this way, but to our, we did our AAC preview last week and had Houston as the number one and UCF as the number two, I think, in, the, yeah. in our rankings. Um, we didn't necessarily say that means that's like the end of the conference championship finish. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's hard to go back and retroactively do that. But if UCF makes the AAC championship game and loses, can I kind of fold in a second scenario here too? Yeah. Like, because the results to me are the same as if UCF makes the AAC championship and wins, but isn't going to a near six bowl. Yeah. Because like, I, I don't know how like different that Which is. Which I don't you know? find that super likely, but yeah. I don't, it, it hasn't happened since 2016. So yeah, I don't yeah. think so either. But yeah, I, but those are kind of the same to me. So just either way, UCF plays in the AAC title game, win or lose, and isn't in a major bowl game. Sure. Um, I don't think it changes a ton. It's less like, immediate hype especially on the national level but you're still following through on the promises that you made as a coaching staff I mean the whole point is ramping up to be the future of college football and if UCF goes from nine and four to uh 11 and three or 12 and two I mean that that is and they're going to be ranked if that happens yeah. I mean yeah that's falling through on your promises and it's I don't think it's necessarily like it's not so as off to the races especially in recruiting and transfers as being on the stage of a year six bowl but I still think yeah. I mean you know, it, it still sets them on the right track and, and at leave with a lot of momentum, you know? And I think you still have this. I think we kind of talked about it a little bit last year with recruiting, and I'm sure it's probably some of the pitches that they've made. But if you lose the AAC championship game, you say, okay, well, we're right there. And I know we're going to another conference, but we're at the top of that level. We just need some more pieces. Come be that piece. 
You know? Exactly right. And, and you, I mean, you can literally say, I mean, if you're pitching to a, or a tra- let's talk about transfer because recruit, I honestly, I am not worried about recruiting pretty much yeah. for any of these scenarios in the short term. I think recruiting is going to continue to be very, very good. The big 12 is just going to help recruiting so much. Exactly. But if you're a transfer and you come in and you say, Hey, look at us, you know, so year one, we had a ton of injuries. We went nine and four. We were the best team in the state year two. We made it to our league title game. We were a top 25 team. We had a nice bowl win. And now we're going to the power five. It's like, you know, like, look how close we were. We're returning all these guys and we were the number 21 team in the nation, whatever. We get you and a few other guys. We're, we're going to be top 15. We're going to be top 10. We're going to compete for some really cool stuff like that. That's a pretty easy pitch. You know, like yeah. that's, whenever you're like top 25 seasons are nothing to scoff at. Like well, if they're what, doing that, they're going to be fine. I mentioned, I think on one of the more recent podcasts, like that would be, uh, obviously I just said everything. Like the dream is obviously win the conference championship, but. I'd be fully happy finishing the season in the top 25, however it happens. I'm happy with that every season. I think yeah. that's my big difference for the rest of the fan base. Any top 25 season was a successful season to me. I don't think UCF fans get that UCF's done that five times in program history. Like top 25 <laughs> is great. And and, yeah. and it's enough to stay on the national radar and draw attention to transfers, to recruits, to, to keep the fans invested. I mean, being top 25 teams is a cool thing. Yeah. Only 25 teams do it. And there are 131. So that's a fact. Um, all right. The next one is kind of along those lines actually UCF going 10 and 2 or 9 and 3 but failing and failing to make the AAC championship game like the way I feel about that is if they go 10 and 2 and then still you know they win their bowl game and or even if they go they go 9 and 3 and they win their bowl game and finish in the top 25 I will be happy but and I don't think that's going to affect a ton of other things either this one's a little tougher because the range is basically from 11 and 2 to 9 and 4 as far as final yeah. record and I do think there's a difference there I think that like the way the schedule's set up and the way the team is set up, they need to be at 10 wins. And if yeah. this kind of depends on the bowl to me, because if they go, let's say they go nine and three and then drop the bowl game and you're nine and four again. Again, yeah. I don't think it like, again, it's still early enough because we're year two here where I don't think it's going to immediately impact anything. I think recruiting will still be fine. I think transfers will still be fine. I think there will still be a lot of excitement for the Big 12, even though I'm sure at that point fans will be a little antsy. Mm. To me, the issue is you set up 2023 as a really important season. And I don't want the first year in the Big 12 to be a really important season. Yeah, because that's asking a lot, and I don't know. I they really need to get to ten wins. It's just kind of ten how I wins. I think it. ten wins bright buys you some time, is what you're saying, basically. Yeah, I'm saying that if they don't hit ten wins, or if they even like ten and three, I'd be fine. If they don't hit ten wins, like they're nine and four, or whatever. Maybe if they're ten and three with a bad bowl loss, you're not going to feel that this off season, but you sure as hell might feel it next off season if they come into the Big Twelve and are like eight and five or something. You know. Yeah. So I just I don't want because if they're if they come off. 11 and 2, 12 and 2, 13 and 1, wh- whatever, 11 and 3. It, it, like, and you go into the Big 12 and you take a step back because it's a power conference, you still have that goodwill. If you don't do well and you go in and you take the step back from not doing well, then it's just kind of like, okay, we're suddenly you're three years in. You keep right. shouting you're the future of college football and you've never even hit 10 wins in a season. And right. the message is stale. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's not the guys who, you know, you're signing in this class who were top 100 players who could have been at, you know, Ohio state or Florida, or like, why am I playing for this? Like Alamo bowl team that that's when it, that's when you start running into problems. So it's more like, don't have that happen now. So you don't have to worry about what happens later. Right. Cause yeah, I mean, it obviously will buy you some goodwill if you have a great season this year and yeah, next year is a little bit of a step down, but it's to be expected. You're in a new conference, all that stuff. So yeah, I mean, I get, I get that. I completely agree with all of it. Um, the last scenario is obviously the worst and it's UCF going eight and four or worse and I mean, with the talent they have and the roster they have, the coaching staff sticking together, the kind of hype and recruiting they've just, you know, the class they've just brought in or are in the process of bringing in to go go backwards from nine and four would be kind of a disaster. 
the only way I can see this happening. But and again, frankly, I can't imagine them being worse than eight and four. Like I cannot imagine. By the way, we saw the same stuff last year and they went eight and four. But again, we didn't predict that half the team did not play. Um, you know, injuries are kind of like whatever. You can't predict injuries. Yeah. So last year was actually really impressive, honestly, in hindsight with <laughs> how injured they were. But the only way non-injury that I can see eight and four happening and I can't see anything worse than eight and four is if they just make a mess of the quarterback situation, like flip-flopping between guys, can't Which settle on a so... starter, changes in game. And I think Gus is too experienced of a coach to make that mistake. But right. that is the only way I can see it happening. And yeah, if that happened, it's not good. It, it like it's kind of the same as this previous scenario, except even worse, where like it makes 2023 freaking critical to the vision that this coaching staff has. And you do not want your first year in a power conference to be a critical year for your program. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing, too, because it's I can't I can't see it happening, but I forgot what I was gonna say because my dog just barked. It, it threw me off. Um, but going eight and four or going, going worse than you went last year with all those injuries, again, you start to see those guys kind of be like, is this where I want to be? Is this, you know, like we just said earlier, you don't see guys in the group of five really leave a good situation. But if it's a situation like that, where it's back to back seasons of like, yeah, last year was impressive going nine and four with all the injuries and a good foundational year, but you can't really have two foundational years in a row in in the situation that UCF is in. Like if they were still building the roster and like, it was still kind of a work in progress, I would get it and say, yeah, I mean, okay, if you, if you match what you did last year, fine, but they're not, they have the roster, they have the schedule and they have everything they need to be way better than they were last year. And it's why I don't like last year. They were so freaking hurt. I mean, they, you know, their top, their, their starting quarterback missed basically the whole season. They're, you know, As their, did, top like, their top receiver, two running backs, and their top, top two running backs, uh, their top defensive player missed most of the year. I like, they were just so beyond and they were so thin behind that. And like, yeah, to then take this year where you've basically covered all of your bases on what you needed. You have a lot of talent coming back from last year on top of new talent should be really good, both from recruiting and from the transfer portal. The schedule is easier. It's a disaster. If you then do the same thing, it just is, you know? And like I said, the only real way I can get in my brain to believe that would happen is if the quarterback situation is just a nightmare. And I just, that's what I was going to say. By them making a mess of it. Cause like we talked before, if you're, if they drop, let's say they drop the Louisville game because of a quarterback and they make a switch. It's like, at that point, you just need to commit. And it's like, even where you just have to ride with this guy through the good and bad, because when you get to the point where you're like in the middle of a game, like, okay, well now JRP is bad. Let's let's, all right, let's throw Mikey in. Like, okay, well mm, Mikey's kind of out of rhythm. Maybe like that's when things just completely spiral and that's what they can't do. And like you said, I don't really see that happening with Gus. I think he, he understands the importance of having a guy consistently in there and riding with that guy. Um, and also it's another one of those things that I've, I've said it. I and mean, we think we both said it all offseason as much as we prefer Mikey and, and and think that his his ceiling or at least his, his the level he can consistently play at would be better fit for the offense it's at, at both guys I think are talented enough to do enough to win which is why I, I don't even see like I don't even really and of course it could happen but I don't necessarily even see a possibility or uh, I, I don't really see them making a mess of the quarterback situation because whichever way they end up going I imagine they'll be fine. And I don't, I don't see the flip-flopping happening, but now I could see, I could see the quarterback who starts the first game of the season and the last game of the season being different quarterbacks. I could and too. what really sets that in motion to me and we'll see is the Louisville game, the Louisville game being where it is on the schedule it being so early it being the second game. Cause let's say that, I don't know, let's say the JRP is named the starter and SC state happens. There's nothing, there's nothing that can happen in SC state. It's going to change who the quarterback is. And then he comes out and just is whatever it, you know, 
can't make passes, is frazzled. They lose the Louisville game. If the Louisville game goes badly, I can see Gus saying, all right, I screwed this and switching the quarterback, but then that's mm-hmm. it. And that's the rest of the season. Same for Mikey. If Mikey comes out and he's just not making plays against Louisville and the offense is stagnant, they switch to JRP and he lights it up. It's like, okay, now it's JRP. That game being where it is, I can see a switch happening in that game. I cannot see them switching back and forth. I feel like that game will just decide who the guy is. And that's that. I'm thinking back now to like the many, many seasons growing up as an LSU fan. Like they just did it all the time. They would just flip flopping back back and forth and somehow manage to like stay above water in a lot of cases but it was never like it was it was never staying above water because the offense was thriving it was the defense holding everything up because they couldn't figure it out offensively and yeah I mean it, it's I could see and I think the Louisville game will tell pretty much I guess everything it's I don't want to say everything but if say JRP starts say whoever starts if say they lose the Louisville game and they don't make the switch at what point do they make a switch you know if they don't make the switch if they don't make the switch after they lose to Louisville would they what do they have to lose another game for them to make a switch no if they don't if they lose a game and don't make a switch then I don't think they're making a switch right right that's what you know what I mean like unless because the other thing is like they can like I'm not predicting they're going to go into they're going to lose a game at some point and I'm sure Twitter will be like ah they wouldn't have lost if quarterback who was not playing had played But, you know, you kind of have to look at how they lose games, too. And it's like, I I don't know that like, I guess the only way I could see that is like, say that they lose Louisville. So they switch the quarterback and then they like lose Georgia Tech in two weeks with that quarterback. Even then, I don't know if they would. I just I don't know. I just because that then you're flip flopping at that point. So and that's just so unlikely. I just don't because they're both good options. It's not like one of them is going to tank the team. So, right. I really hope it doesn't happen because that would suck. But it's going to be interesting. The best part about all of this is we're three weeks away from. Yeah. beginning the journey to finding out i wonder how many of our listeners are old enough to remember 2011 when uh george leary <laughs> just could not for the life of him decide if jeff godfrey or blake Bortles was the quarterback and ucf went five and seven um they that was sandwiched in between in 2010 they went 11 and three in 2012 they went 10 and four and they went five and seven in the middle i believe they lost six games that year by single digits um that that's what happens when you can't decide well, on a quarterback <laughs> the fun part too with the whole like tribal wars between who wants who to start is you telling me yesterday that there were people having conversations about this being like Holman and DeNovo all over again from 2014. Yep. Saw some of that. Yeah. 2014. Yeah. 2014. Um, So yeah, that's great. Okay. But again, people say, Oh my God, Holman and Nova. What happened that year? Okay. DeNovo came out and was really bad. They switched the quarterback. Didn't look back. They won the league. Like I just, so it's like, it's, yeah, it's you over... wish they had lost the Penn State game, but that wasn't really like, it didn't turn into a bunch of flip-flopping. They, right. They it's just an overreaction. It's just the sky is falling because this is horrible and I'm not getting my way basically. And I'm really not looking forward to what Twitter's going to be like when they do name a starter, because if on next week, whenever they come out and they're like, JRP is the guy we've talked all off season about how we're on Mikey and why we think it's going to I be like Mikey. JRP a lot. JRP is an he's awesome an easy dude. Guy to root for. He's, he's a really, really for. awesome guy. And if he comes out and they name him the starter, I'm not going to be like, I hate UCF. Go I'm, not Bulls. Gonna... I'm moving to Tampa. It's just gonna be like, oh, wow. I really like if JRP wins the job, I'm now the biggest JRP fan in the world. I hope he's better than Mackenzie Milton. I hope he's amazing. Yeah, but it's just because it's going to be annoying when like whoever it is, it's not going to be like, okay, I'll root for this guy now. It's going to be, okay, I'm going to just wait until this guy messes up just so I can jump on Twitter. And, and, and that's my, my big thing. What you will not see from me and hold me accountable on this guy because it's not happening. If JRP's named the starter, I'm not going to be on Twitter like against SC State when he throws a pick being like, mm, Mikey wouldn't have thrown that. Like, it's like no quarterback is perfect. Whoever wins the job is going to make a lot of mistakes because every quarterback makes a lot of mistakes. It's a long yeah. season. They're long games. 
And I'm really not looking forward to that where every time there's a freaking incompletion or a sack, everyone on Twitter is like, switch the quarterback. Cause that's well, just this is be a freaking nightmare. Now that we're talking about this, this is something that I'm considering now. I mean, you're going to be in the press box. So like you probably are going to be on Twitter. You have to be on Twitter. And I don't think you'd really not want to be on Twitter, but I might just put my phone away. I'm, I say this, I'm not going to do it, but I might just put my phone away while I'm in the game and just not deal with what's going on as like, well, as the game's going on, like the live tweeting and, live hot takes that are going to be flying out there i probably am better off just ignoring those i know i'll be checking them but yeah as you said i kind of have to like that's like sort of what yeah. people follow me is yeah. because i provide that but yeah i just it, it's you know it i'm not looking forward to twitter during these games maybe it'll, <laughs> I, the only way that it'll like work out is like if whoever is named the quarterback is just good and there yeah. are issues you know yeah. I, I like i said i don't know what the hell like it's so weird. It's actually like, I'm really happy they're opening with SC state, obviously, but it's also like as excited I am for that game. I'm like, we are going to learn nothing from that right. game. We are not going to know a thing about this team until the Louisville game. And at least they get, scary. I mean, that's thing is at least they get out there. We talked about that last year with them starting against Boise state. Like they had no ramp up game. It was just Boise state. And that scared me. And we saw the first, you know, quarter and a half, the first half of that game. Um, but yeah, I mean, at least, at least they get out there against SC state and, get to run the offense against another team and all that stuff. So it's legitimately like a preseason game, but preseason games can be valuable sometimes. No, like I said, it's great. What Like I'm so thrilled they're opening with that because that's going to help so much. I mean, it is very valuable to open with an FCS team. I hated what they did last year, but at the yeah. same time, it's like we're going to end that game. We will have a lovely late night podcast for you guys where we are going to talk about how we have learned nothing. So yeah. it's going to be And then that's the thing too, is like Louisville, as we talked about recently, is going to be their toughest game. And for that to come in week two, isn't ideal but you know that's the thing is it, it's their toughest game but it's also not one that's like catastrophic if they lose because everything's still in front of them on the table for the conference and all that but yeah i do have to say though our friend uh zach uh made a good point who founded night sports now with us he now works at a tv station in tampa i don't remember which one sorry zach um pointed out on twitter when i, I was asking people i said which uh which game you most worry about he said sc state the only team to pick off mckenzie milton three times it's true. And, uh, well, it's not. Memphis did it too. But either well, way, he, he yeah. made a good point that uh, SC State, <laughs> uh, dangerous team for quarterbacks. Worrisome. So we'll just have still, to what see. was the score of that game? It was still 38 nothing in that game, wasn't it? Yeah, but I remember that being a huge disappointment. Like it was coming off it the was. undefeated season. Everyone's like, only 38 nothing. <laughs> well, because wasn't it, was it the week before when they played at UConn and won like 56 to 20 something? They won that game 56 27, I want to say. Something yeah, like that. 56 20, something like that. And but again, it, like, okay, let's be real. It was a few years ago, so we can say it. Mackenzie Milton was just basically just like being a jerk during that game. Like he was just <laughs> trying this. He basically was like, we're playing an FCS and it's fine, but he was just trying the dumbest passes. Like he was just going for the big play for no reason yeah. on every throw. And it was funny because it's like, because they were in the middle of like the Heisman campaign for him then. He was just like, let's have some crazy stats. And it was kind of one of those like, you know, you can't throw directly at a DB, yeah, like, even like, if it's let's, an FCS Let's have some crazy team. stats. Instead, let me just tank my campaign. Completely. Yeah, <laughs> which it didn't. No one cared. I remember reading yeah. like Andrea Adelson at ESPN wrote a story on a couple weeks later, and it was just like a footnote. Like it was like in SEC State where he really threw three picks, but no one cares. And then it was just yeah. like on to the next, but whatever. It Nothing from that game is going to matter, but it'll be a fun yeah. time. Um, and yeah, we're three weeks away. So we'll jump into the football news here as we wrap up. Uh, Can I ask UCF? you a hypothetical really quickly to add sure. five more minutes to the podcast? Sure. What if I told you right now that you can either have the season that's going to happen, like however it'll happen happens in real life, or you can press another button. Didn't we and, have this conversation? Yes, but this is a different scenario. It's a better one. Okay. Or they go 11 and one and the one loss is SC State. <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know because the like the embarrassment and just like the the just jokes will just never end. But you're guaranteeing a perfect conference record, an appearance in the AAC title game, wins against Louisville, Cincinnati, Georgia Tech. No, I'll SMU. press the button of I'll take whatever else is going to happen because I still have confidence that they're still going to have a good season regardless. It's funny how that's how bad losing to an FCS team is. <laughs> Even if your option is that will be the only time you lose all year, you're still like, nah, we'll just see yeah, what happens. Yeah, can't we don't want to go through that. Can't be that one. That'd be a rough week if that happened. It would not enjoy it. And then we go into the, the UCF going into the Louisville game 0 and 1 with the loss to SC State. <laughs> would just, it, everything would explode. If UCF loses to SC State in week one, their ceiling is five and seven. Like uh, that would just destroy everything so fast. Oh, it's bad. Okay. Well, the football news UCF says there are fewer than 800 season tickets remaining. I think the, like, the number was that they're 98% sold out. Um, you know, I think that's always been going to always like been what's going to happen. Uh, some recruiting updates, some um, UCF making some top fours and a top three, three-star cornerback J.C. Hart out of Alabama uh, listed UCF in his top four, along with Auburn, Mississippi State, and Vanderbilt. Three-star defensive lineman Joshua Horton out of Georgia listed UCF in his top three, along with Auburn and UNC. His commitment date is actually set for August 19th, which is not this Friday, but the next Friday. Uh, and then finally, three-star Palmetto defensive lineman Andrew Rumpf listed UCF in his top four, along with Miami, Maryland, and Indiana. Um, finally, we have some news on UCF's uniforms. They're dropping Friday, August 12th, this Friday, which um, I meant to ask you this before the podcast, but depending on what time they drop, the plan has been to do an emergency podcast. If they drop too late in the afternoon or evening, I'm not going to be able to do it. But would you still do it yourself? Yes. I'll okay. Still be so able. there will be a special emergency podcast of, is it really an emergency anymore? If like we're announcing the emergency? Um, yeah, because we have a cool intro that I want to use for okay. the emergency podcast yeah. now. So we have an emergency podcast on Friday. So be on the lookout for that. I'm, I consider any off schedule podcast an emergency podcast because we, yeah, right. we always drop either Tuesdays or Thursdays. And if yeah. we're basically dropping any other day, it's an emergency. I guess I'm essentially like a game time decision or a, a day of decision. I'm um, assuming they're not because FanFest is that night, unless they're going to release it like at FanFest. It's not. Oh, no, the, the, um, or it's, so is, is it Saturday, but it's, it's the, the charge, charge on, on tour is that the downtown night. one. Yeah. So yeah. We, there will be a podcast. You'll just have to wait and see if Bailey is on it. Um, we are not going to drop thoughts. them at the charge on tour. Would they? Like, I wouldn't they think so. I wouldn't think so, but you never freaking know, but we're very hopefully, excited. Um, yeah, hopefully it's one of those things where you get a thing. Um, we get the tweet notifications from UCF equipment that says like 2 p.m. And then you're like, oh, three more hours. And then 2 p.m. comes and then 2.04 comes and you're like, okay, where are they? And then they drop them. I can't wait for them to say they're going to release them at 3.21. Everyone will freak out and be like, they're Canaveral Blue. <laughs> wow, people took the, those MS Paint things like really seriously. I, still can't, I can't believe, believe it. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, speaking on that note, sort of, uh, UCF released their UCF fans wear for the 2022 season. They're doing fans choice versus South Carolina State, black against Louisville. Georgia Tech and Cincinnati, white against SMU, obviously the space slash Canaveral blue slash Tichernot gear for Temple, and then, you know, USA themed gear for uh, the Navy game. And then they have, they want everyone to wear black for all away games, which I can't remember. I think it was ECU, an ECU fan replied and said, like, they're, that that's a blackout for them. Oh, God, is um, it really? So I don't know if that's going to be like a thing where UCF changes course or is everyone's UCF, the same wearing black. Blackout? I'm so flattered. That's what someone said. Listen, we've um, said it a billion times. We're going to say it again. Day games were white, night games yep. were black. That should just be it. Yep. That should just be it. it. It's very simple. This is the first year that we don't have an Armored and Anthracite game on there somewhere. Yeah. Sad. People always like struggling to try to find, like, what do I have that's Anthracite? Like, let's go. 
And my mom the, was complaining the, to me because my parents are both season ticket holders, so right. they go to all the games. My mom was complaining that she only owns a gray this, UCF this shirt. This is kind of anthracite-ish. Yeah. So, uh-huh. cool. so she doesn't know what she's going to do because she she's a she she graduated from UF, so she does not have a ton of uh, UCF clothes. But yeah. So. Um. On that kind of note, this is actually maybe pertinent to her. Uh, UCF announced a partnership with Flow Grown, which is going to include <laughs> an official game day shirt for each home game. What a perfect so, transition. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't even think about that. Um, and they'll be also doing an official Nightmare Student section sh- section shirt for football and basketball. Um, so yeah, I guess they're going to be like themed for for the game, like for Louisville, it's going to be a black shirt. And I'm kind of interested to see the designs. I actually own a white Flow Grown UCF shirt. Um, so yeah, cool partnership. Uh, the co- preseason coaches poll dropped on Monday. UCF is the equivalent of 32nd. Um, some other notables, there's four teams from the new big 12 in the top 25, it's five in the top 30. Um, and then UCF, of course, right behind at 32, the two, um, you know, two of the, the new big 12 teams that are currently AAC teams, are the other notable ones, Cincinnati came in at number 23 and Houston came in at number 25. And the poll as a as a whole was like weird. Yeah, kind Listen, of weird. But it's I, a coaches if, poll, if so I mean, the coaches AP poll is next week, right? Yeah. If it's any, uh, two weeks, I think. Uh, I'll have to check. I think sure. it's next week, the fifteenth. I'm pretty sure. If it's any indication of the AP poll, it's good news for UCF because I did not think coming off a nine and four season they would be that close to being ranked. If that is how the AP poll looks, they will be ranked after the Louisville game if they win. It'd be so, nice. Yeah. Someone um, in the coaches poll, which is uh technically done by head coaches but most of the time it's like just some assistant or ga who fills it out someone uh had texas as the number one team in the country and we're not going to know who it is for like many months because they do not release the coaches ballots until all is said and done so that'll be a fun (laughs) one what if it was Um, gus that'd be hilarious uh ucf actually last year in the coaches poll which came out the same week that we did this topic on the podcast ucf was 34th last year See, we've so, reached the point where UCF can have like a disappointing year and then move up in the poll the, the next yeah. year. So I mean, last year, they came in the last year, yeah, with a new coaching staff, but they had their quarterback. They had, I mean, they were, I can't remember really. I mean, they were no, the, high, the good, UCF right? was supposed to be pretty good. The general yeah. fan base was expecting like New Year's six again. I think the more measured fan base was thinking like at worst 10 and two, which is probably yeah. what would have happened if they'd stayed healthy. But I mean, the injuries are the injuries. Exactly. Um, the final thing, Pro Football Focus released their preseason all AAC teams. And we talked a couple weeks ago about overs and unders on um, all AAC selections. They had a lot for the preseason anyway. Um, it was on the first team, they had Ryan O'Keefe, Lokahi Paule, Devontae Brown, uh, Corey Thornton, and Quadric Bullard. On the second team, they had Johnny Richardson, Kobe Hudson, Kimor Gamble, um, Matt Lee. I was like, Lee. I just wrote down the last names. So I was like, Quan Lee? <laughs> Matt Lee um, and Devon Wilson. On the third team, they had Sam Jackson. And then honorable mentions, they had Keenan Hester and Traymond Morris Brash. So that's a lot. a lot of players, I think. But I think in the AAC, they only do two teams, right? So that, yeah, those the extra one, Sam Jackson. It was still team. like still, the over still guys. Yeah. yeah, it was still ten guys through the top two teams. So crazy. Anyway, wild tweet times. of the week. Tweet of the week. I was not on Twitter very much um, this past week because I was you. on vacation for a good chunk of it. Um, good for you. I briefly chimed in when I saw they dropped the uniform time. That was pretty much it. Um, I missed, I need to catch up on, there was some giant feud about like Dreamfield and USF or something and McKenzie Milton. I don't really know what that's about yet. I'm still catching up. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, I, I, so before I was not on Twitter, this was early last week. So we're going back a little bit in time. Um, Joey Knight of the uh, Tampa Bay times 
used to cover USF. I don't know what he covers now, but I guess he was out at USF or something. USF and the Bucks, I think. I see him he tweeted at Bucks practice. Yeah, I think he left to cover the Bucks, or didn't leave, but got reassigned to the Bucks. And I don't know. Either he has, I'm pretty sure he does both. I don't know why we're dissecting. I like him though. Career now, I like him though. He's a nice guy. Yeah, I, I actually feel I don't like to do like legitimate media for tweet of the week because like I don't like making yeah. fun of legitimate media, but sometimes they just serve it up on a platter. So Joey Knight <laughs> tweeted, "Initial observation from today's USF practice: that indoor practice facility is a lot bigger than UCF's." Don't come at me with specs, square footage, etc. I'm basing this strictly on the eye test, and the Bulls building looks much more imposing. So there's a lot to unpack here. Um, first off, congratulations to USF on their imposing IPF. Um, North Texas and Charlotte are shaking at the idea of having to play nowhere near it since no opposing team will ever see it, since USF does not play on campus, but congrats on it being opposing. Um, second, holy wow, can I not think of things that matter less than how big your IPF is. <laughs> It's a football field, man. It's the same size, like no matter how big the building is. And I do want to point out, I looked at, or I didn't look it up. Someone looked it up and sent it to me. He is correct. USF's new IPF is, is a little bigger. It's not a lot bigger, but it is a little bigger. And like, congratulations. It's 15 years newer. I would hope it's bigger and nicer. <laughs> and I just, it's really, we've talked about before, like the sadder and sadder moments this rivalry is hitting as it comes to a close. And USF official media bragging about how their IPF is slightly larger than UCF's is like, the lowest it has reached so far. That was that was definitely a tweet for engagement, right? Had to be. Had I to think be. Because it, it was, was such a silly tweet. It had to be. Yeah. <laughs> I just I have never ever heard of a school bragging because their indoor practice facility is imposing. It's just, it's so like, yeah. And it's the same thing we said before. Like, yeah, no, I I it's gonna be better than UCF. So we knew that when they started building it. It's too bad they didn't build it 15 years ago. Maybe they'd still be in the same conference as UCF. But at the end of the day, and we've talked about this before, it's like players don't, and this is why I don't think USF fans, USF fans aren't good about what facilities mean because they've never had them, but players don't, they're not going to commit to you because of your, because your facilities are good. They might not commit to you because your facilities are bad. And right. that's or what USF, facilities. yes. And that's what USF has dealt with for so long now is like, they literally like, I, we've talked about joke, jokingly before, like, what do they show players? Like they, they didn't have a football building for the longest time. They didn't have a new locker room for the longest time. They didn't have an IPF. They didn't have a stadium. And it was just like, what did they show them? And now that's going to help them. But it's like, they're not going to get any recruits that would have gone to UCF. They are now going to USF because their IPF is slightly larger or because it's more imposing or anything like that. And it's like, this is going to keep them competitive in their league. This is going to keep them competitive with guys that FAU and some of the more mid-tier teams are interested in. But like, the notion that this changes anything for them in the face of the UCF rivalry is just sad. Honestly, it's like, they just can't let go that those teams aren't on the same tier anymore. Yeah. I, I, it's one of those things that like, and I, I've said multiple times that like, I want the rivalry to keep going and I want like, I want UCF I to do keep too. playing them. But the more I've seen, like even stuff that UCF fans have done recently, like talking about USF, I'm just like, why are you wasting your time? Like, it just seems like they're just at this point you're punching down and it's like, yeah, it's a rivalry, but like you're just bringing them up for no reason. Like it's both sides do that, and I'm like, just imagine stop. it's how like Miami and Florida fans have felt about UCF for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it is, it is kind of like I, I think it's fun, so I, I do engage in that stuff because I think it's entertaining. But it is true of like, you know, it, it sucks that this rivalry is ending because it's a really good rivalry. But like they are about the first off, they've been on drastically different paths for five years now before there was any conference realignment at all you know mm -hmm. and and what's happened is just exacerbated the hell out of it i mean now we're going to be living in a world where usf is in a league with teams like utsa and charlotte and ucf's in a league with teams like baylor and oklahoma state and byu and 
UCF's going to be making probably 35, 40 million a year in TV revenue. USF's going to be making six or 7 million. It's like that USF still doesn't have a stadium. It's like, they're just, these, these <laughs> programs just, they're not peers anymore and they haven't been for a while. And it's just kind of like, yeah. I don't know. We stop pretending they are, I guess. I, I don't know which UCF fans even are, but USF fans certainly are. Yeah. Anyway, we'll be back next week. Well, actually, no, we'll be back with our emergency podcast uh, with both of us or just Christian. Someone will both. be back on Friday. You'll just yeah, have to wait and find be- out who. We will be back tuned in to find out if I'm there. Um, but we'll be talking uniforms on Friday. And then we'll be back next week with episode 87, which we're going to start doing some roster breakdowns because we're getting very, very close to the season. Uh, but times. until Friday, you can find us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at by CA Simmons, and at Night Sports Now. Thank you guys so much for being with us, and we will talk to you on Friday. Bye, everybody.